This is from Luke chapter 14, um, verse 1 and then verses 7 through 24. This is God's word for us tonight. It is completely true and is given to us in love. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread and the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, you have commanded, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. So I heard a story a couple years ago. Um, there was, I was watching Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and he was recounting this party that he'd gone to. And um, there was, uh, Saturday Night Live had their 40th anniversary show a couple years ago, and it was this three and a half hour special, maybe some of you saw it. And they had lots of hosts from the past, and celebrity guests and musicians. And then there was this after party after um, the Saturday Night Live special. And Jimmy Fallon, he's, um, he's still kind of dazed from the night before, and he's telling uh, the band, he's telling Questlove um, and the Roots, and he's telling the audience about this, this party that he went to, and he said it was the best party he'd ever been to. Um, and he talked about how when he walked into this room, which was filled with everyone who'd ever been on Saturday Night Live, um, minus a few, um, all of the celebrities who've been on Saturday Night Live, minus a few, and all of the musical guests who've been on Saturday Night Live, minus a few. And he said that in this party, there was a stage, and there were just musical instruments set up. Like it was, the party was designed so that people could get up and play. And so, um, starts out, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi, um, in honor of his brother John Belushi, got up and they did a couple Blues Brothers numbers at this party. And then um, Paul McCartney, one of the Beatles, and... Uh, Fallon and Taylor Swift sang together, and then Swift sang Shake It Off, and, and Paul McCartney sang backup vocals for her. Um, I mean, this part, like, what is this party? And there was no photography. 
There was nobody there to actually take a picture of this thing. So it's all word of mouth. Um, and then um, there's a jam session that includes Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, um, Michael Bolton saying When a Man Loves a Woman, B-52s saying Love Shack. And then, this is how Fallon tells it, Dave Chappelle walks up to him and says, um, he says, dude, Prince is here. And instead of trying to play it cool, Fallon goes up to the mic and he says, Prince, if you're here, I dare you to come up on stage. And then Fallon, Fallon says this, he says, all of a sudden the crowd parts and there's purple smoke. And the dude just floats on towards the stage. And then when Prince reaches the stage, he gets his guitar on, he grabs the mic, he launches into Let's Go Crazy. And then among his backdrop singers were Maya Rudolph and Chris Rock and Jimmy Fallon. And then Questlove adds, oh yeah, and then Jay-Z and Beyonce run to the front to watch. I mean, this party has everyone at it. Um, in the presence of Prince, even the greatest celebrities are reduced to mere fans. And Fallon ends with this. He says, it was one of the best nights of my life, and I want to share it with you. He was still high on the experience. He tells his audience this. Um, huge party, unlimited resources, and we didn't get invited. So if you were throwing a party with unlimited resources, who would you invite? Who would be on your guest list? Um, there are three categories of people, just to think about this. There are insiders. These are folks that you want at your party, people who you want to invite you to their parties. Um, there are out, outcasts. These are people who are in the same, um, they're sort of in the same social circles as you, but you don't want them at your party. Um, you know if they're, if they're there, they will make you look bad. You ignore their invites to their parties. And the third category is outsiders. So there's insiders, outcasts, and outsiders. Outsiders are people that you don't know, that don't know you. You would care less if they invite you to their party and vice versa. Um, and as we think about this Saturday Night Live party, I mean, the insiders are the people in the room um, that were there. The outcasts were people who used to be part of the Saturday Night Live community, used to be part of that group, and weren't invited for whatever reason. And then we're the outsiders, right? Like, if we, there's no, maybe someone in this room got invited. I didn't get an invite. Like, there's no way we're getting invited to that party. So who would you invite? You had a party, unlimited resources, who would you invite? Well, obviously insiders, right? Uh, when Mary Clark and I got married, um, we were really excited about having a guest list. Right? This is an opportunity to invite all of the right people, all the people we love to come and celebrate with us. So we invited the people we're supposed to, our family and our family friends. And then we also invited the people who we hoped would be our friends. Um, we, uh, we were starting a new life together in Richmond where we lived. And so we invited insiders, people that we hoped would invite us to their parties. Why do we do this? Because one of the unspoken rules of parties is that who shows up is a reflection on your reputation. Right? Those of you who are in Greek life, you know this, that there are certain fraternities and sororities that mix with each other and others that don't. And there's a social hierarchy that plays out. And because who shows up is a reflection of your reputation, you actually care who shows up to your party. And as an invited guest, which parties or events or meetings you make a priority reflect your reputation. I mean, that's why you can't wait to say yes to some parties. And there's others that um, you just ignore their invitations. And to add another dimension to this, we desperately want to be others, other people's insiders. We're willing to treat others as outcasts so that we can get in on the right group, right? To get added to that 
group chat or to get a bid from that sorority. Music stand fell. Um, and we're willing to ignore outsiders for the approval of insiders. Right? This is how our social dynamics work as humans. So in our passage tonight, we have Jesus at a dinner party with a group of religious insiders. And they're talking about how to throw a party. There's four things that happen to set up our parable tonight. Um, what we didn't read in verses 2 through 6 is that there's actually a man, uh, we're told, has dropsy who comes to this party. And dropsy is what we call edema, which is this medical condition where somebody's body swells up with fluid and it's incredibly uncomfortable. And so this man who is physically disabled comes up and Jesus heals him. He's an outcast and Jesus heals him. Um, Second, in verses 7 through 11, Jesus observes the insiders jockeying for position at the table. Who gets the higher seat? Where do they sit? And he speaks boldly into their jockeying. He says, next time you throw one of these dinner parties, don't invite these people. Invite the outcasts. Invite the outsiders. Then God will repay you at the resurrection. And then the third thing is that in verse 15, we've got this one guy who makes this, this religious statement. He says, when Jesus makes that statement, he responds... Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Which then leads Jesus to tell his parable. Um, and the fourth thing we see is this is a really tense situation. In verse 1, um, we see that the, the Pharisees were watching Jesus carefully. And then verse 7, he speaks truth to power. Um, because he is not happy about the way the Pharisees, the religious elite, the insiders. He's not happy about the way that they are misrepresenting God as one who blesses the rich or the powerful. And so he sees it as an opportunity to tell a parable. So why does Jesus talk in parables? Um, well, in this case, Jesus has just walked into a minefield of religious and social expectation. And rather than engaging with them, with what just happened, right, which would trigger everyone's defense mechanisms, he tells a story. And he spoke in parables to get around people's defense mechanisms and go straight for their heart. So to set, the scene, to set the scene, we have a dinner party hosted by religious insiders where people are jockeying for the best seats. Jesus is invited to the party, but he's being watched carefully. He heals a man who's a religious outcast because of his medical condition. And then we've got this man who makes his context, so, or makes his statement. So this is the immediate context, um, but there's a broader context as well. What we don't see when we read this with our 21st century eyes is that this interaction happens against the backdrop of one of the great themes of the Bible, which is the great messianic banquet. So messianic is a word that is talking about the, the Savior, the one who will come into the world to set all things right. And this is a theme in Scripture that there will be, at the end of time, a great banquet. And there's a passage in Isaiah that I want to read for you, which actually um, is where God sets this theme up in Scripture. And um, I don't know if you can read it there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for you so you can hear it. This is Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of of aged wine well-refined. And God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. 
This is the Lord. We have waited for him. So let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This banquet is an often used picture in scripture to make sense of reality. Um, It answers these fundamental questions. It says the question, who is God? We're told that he is the host of this great banquet. Um, What is God's posture towards the world? He is preparing a feast. Where is human history headed? It is headed to this feast of wine and rich food. What, What is salvation? What will salvation be like? He says that death will be swallowed up. Tears will be wiped away by God himself. And there will be no insider or outsider or outcast distinction, but the feast is for all peoples. So we ask, why is Jesus telling this parable to these people? It's because the promises of Isaiah 25 have been twisted for them. This happened in two major ways. The first was this book called the Book of Enoch, which was written in the second century. It was a Jewish book. And in that book, while talking about the Isaiah 25 great banquet, it says that also at the banquet will be the angel of death. And he will slaughter all the Gentiles with his sword. So anyone who's not an insider is going to get killed by the angel of death. Um, I guess that the writer Enoch thought that Isaiah missed that detail. And so this creates this major insider-outsider distinction, right? If your imagination of what God's going to do involves slaughtering everyone who's an outsider, you think that the banquet's just for insiders. Um, Second, there's a group, a popular Jewish sect in the first century called the Essenes. And they said that there would be a hierarchy of seating based on your righteousness. And that the banquet would not include anyone who had skin defects or who was paralyzed or lame or blind or deaf. So the Essenes said that the banquet would have, no, would have no outcasts. So with this parable, Jesus is taking on these false interpretations, that they are misrepresenting the banquet and thus misrepresenting the character of God. So how do we know that he's taking on these false representations? Well, in verse 15, when this man says to Jesus, blessed is he, or blessed is everyone who has eaten bread in the kingdom of God, Um, Parable scholar Kenneth Bailey says that this guy was trying to get Jesus to talk about the great banquet. And he expected Jesus to respond by saying, oh, may we keep the law so that we may eat at that feast. But rather than get into a debate, Jesus tells this parable and he ends with verse 25. If you look with me, he says this. Sorry. um, uh, Verse 24. He says, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Um, He's saying, I tell you, I tell y'all, none of these men will taste my banquet. Jesus is taking something that's theological and maybe even hypothetical to these people and saying, actually, this banquet comes true in me. So here's his point. The host of the banquet is so intent in having his party full that he will go whatever lengths necessary to make this happen. He doesn't care if you're an insider. He doesn't care if you're an outsider. He doesn't care if you're an outcast. He only cares how you respond to his invitation. So now let's let's, um, quickly work through the parable. So it begins with this man giving this great banquet, and he invites the insiders. He goes to the people in his social circle, the right people, and um, they say yes. And so he preps this party based on them saying yes. And then when the party is ready, he sends his servant out to go get the guests. This would be like y'all coming over to dinner to my house, Mary Clark and I having you over. You're hanging out in the living room while we're finishing up dinner. 
And then once dinner's ready, we come into the living room from the kitchen and say, hey, dinner is ready. Come into the dining room. But then in verse 18, we say, all alike begin to make excuses. So the people who are who ready for the party are like, ah, uh, I can't come. So first excuse, this guy says, I bought a field and I have to go out and see it. So this excuse is a lie with an aim at public humiliation. The way that people bought property in the first century is they would have walked the property line. They would have known who had owned the property, how it had changed hands. They would have known everything possible about the piece of property before they bought it. So for him to say, I bought it, sight unseen, I'm going to go check on it, would be a bold-faced lie. Um, that'd be like buying, a, buying something, um, getting on Zillow. You guys don't get on Zillow. That's something you do when you're older. <laughs> but looking for a piece of property... Um, no pictures listed, getting on the phone, calling, uh, buying the property, and then saying, yeah, let's go see if there's actually a house on this piece of land. Um, if he didn't want to humiliate the host, he could have just said, hey, I bought this property and I have to go pay for it immediately. But his intention was to humiliate the host. The second guy, in verse 19, he says, hey, I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go examine them. This is like me calling Mary Clark and saying, hey, I'm going to be a little, home, a, little late, a little late home for dinner tonight because I bought five cars on Craigslist. None had any pictures on them. I don't know what kind of cars they are. I'm going to go check out and see what I bought before I come home. Right? That's crazy. It would be an obvious lie because nobody buys stuff that way. So he tells the servant this for the purpose of publicly humiliating the host. And the third guy is the worst of all. The first two at least said, please excuse me. But the third guy is just blunt and curt. And to see how offensive this is, you need um, to remember the culture of the Middle East. Men do not talk about their wives publicly, period. And this guy basically says, hey, I got married and I, uh, you know, I got to go. Like he's saying, I got married, I have to go have sex with my wife. Like it is the most offensive, blunt, no excuse, humiliating to the host answer. Um, he doesn't even say, please excuse me. And traditional cultures do not talk about sex openly. So this would have been incredibly offensive and rude um, and humiliating to the host. So what we learn about the host then is that he gets angry. And rather than getting revenge, he turns his anger into an invitation to the outcasts and the outsiders. Because we're told he wants his party to be full. And this is not what Jesus' audience would have expected um, this host who's throwing a banquet, no one shows up, he's humiliated, then the anger leads to revenge. The expectation is that the great host will then go out and get revenge on the people who, who humiliated him publicly. But not this host. This host takes the humiliation of rejection on himself, and he uses his humiliation to extend a gracious invitation to the world. And this is how God makes his gracious invitation known to the world. Jesus was cast out and publicly humiliated by religious leaders of his day. He took public humiliation onto himself, which we see most clearly on the cross, where he was hung up naked to be humiliated, to die. We're told in Isaiah 53 that um, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected. And it's through that humiliation that God has an extended an invitation to the world to come to the banquet. It's on the cross that we see the fullest expression of our sin. Um, there's our sin that held him on the cross. He, he was willingly humiliated to pay for our cosmic rejection of God. And on the cross, we also see the fullest expression of God's gracious invitation. Because it's his humiliation on the cross 
that is our invitation to the banquet. And the right response to the gracious invitation of God is to humbly ask, how in the world did I get an invitation? How in the world did I get an invitation? And the answer is the humiliation of the host. And the grace of the host is this invitation to all, to insiders and to outsiders and to outcasts. Um, So I want to look at these three categories in our parable. So first, insiders. These are the people who were first to receive the invitation. And in in Jesus' day, this would have been the Jewish leaders. They assume that they're going to the party. Right? They're the righteous ones. The outcasts aren't going to be there. The outsiders aren't going to be there. It's all about the insiders doing their best to get there. And today, this is probably most of us who were raised in the church, um, and we have this sense of entitlement. We feel like, well, of course I'm invited because it wouldn't be a party without me there. And it's no wonder that the good news of the gospel fails to stun us when this is our posture. Or maybe you've been taught that... Um, that the gospel is about accepting Jesus into your heart. Like it's some big favor that you do for him. And this gets the gospel turned upside down and sows these seeds of self-righteousness. But Jesus says that the kingdom is like a party that you could never hope to attend. And you're invited. So that's the insiders. Second is the outcasts. They're called the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. In Jesus' time, these were the people who were technically inside of Israel, but they were rejected because they didn't fit in. Either people who were rejected because of their sin or were rejected because they had some sort of physical disability that the religious people said, that actually means that God doesn't love you. And today, those are people who are inside the community but are rejected because they don't fit in. So who is this for you? This is when you throw a party, the people that you don't want to show up Because their presence would hurt your reputation. And this is different for all of us. Third category is the outsiders. We see this when the servant is sent out to the highways and hedges, those outside the city who are just passing through, who wouldn't even know that there's a party happening, who would know nothing of the host's reputation. In Jesus' time, this was the Gentiles, those who were outside of Israel who had not heard about God and his grace to the world. And today... um, The insider outcast game when throwing a party, when you think about that, who are you not even thinking about when you plan a party? Who doesn't even know that you're throwing a party, right? This is different for all of us. These are the outsiders. So what unites the insiders and the outcasts and the outsiders? Well, in this parable, we see that they are all invited guests of the gracious host. And what Jesus is doing here is he is saying that God's grace doesn't extend to the religious people. It doesn't extend just um, to those who are um, rejected, and it doesn't extend just to those who are on the outside, but his grace extends to all types of people. And he's telling us that what ultimately divides us, what ultimately divides insiders and outcasts and outsiders is not social status. It's not ethnicity. It is not wealth. It's how they respond to the gracious invitation of the host. So if you're asking the question, who is in and who is out, it seems that Jesus is saying that in a way, it's up to you. No one will be at that party who doesn't want to be there. And no one who wants to be there will be excluded. All you need to do is respond to the servant's invitation. And so the final character of this story is the servant. And the role of the servant is to make the host's gracious invitation known to the invited guests. To the insider, 
The servant carried the public humiliation of the host back to him. In a way, he actually participated in the humiliation of the host. He was the one who received the humiliating news and had to walk back to give the humiliating news to the host. To the outcast, he had to go find them and ask to get people to come in because they would have thought they're not invited. And then to the outsiders who didn't even know that there was a party going on, we're told that he had to compel them to drag them, until, drag them in until the house is filled. Why did he have to compel them? Because if you know who God is, if you know his holiness and his righteousness and his purity, and you know who you are, if you truly realize who you are in the light of God, um, your sin and your brokenness and your fallenness, then if you receive this invitation, your response would be to shrink back and say, there's no way. I never deserve to be there. The invitation must have gone to the wrong person. And to that kind of excuse, Jesus is saying, I insist that you come. He's compelling people to come. And when the master tells the servant to compel them to come in, this is not an order of brute force, but rather it reflects the cultural custom of that day that no one would have thought this invitation was serious. And they would be duty-bound to reject the invitation because they weren't of the same social class. If these people were going to come in, it would be because someone lovingly took them by the arm and brought them in. The servant's role is to make the gracious invitation of the host known to the world. He's sent out to gather gather guests. He's told to make haste. And he obeys the master. He gathers in the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind. And he's sent out to go get more because his house is not yet full. So who is this servant? Who was sent into the world to offer the gracious invitation of God? To compel the people to repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's gracious invitation. And the work that he did, the work that he did to gather the world into the great banquet, into the great banquet was a work of humiliation. And nowhere do we see this more clearly than on the cross. When Jesus' arms spread wide signaled God's posture to the world. That Jesus' humiliation is our invitation to the great banquet. So how do we respond to this gracious invitation? There's an old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, that says this. um, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, to the fountain I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has done all of the work that is necessary to bring you to the great banquet. You are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And you're also never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. He lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you deserve so that you could be brought into the Father's banquet and feast with him in joy. And friends, this is the best party. Way better than some TV reunion show. And Jesus was humiliated for you so that you could join him in the party. So just in closing, I want you to consider, I want to invite you to consider something with me. Um, If Jesus rose from the dead, which is the claim of the Bible that it was a public event, that Jesus resurrected from the dead, um, and his authority is established, that he is who he said he was, and that the Bible tells the true story of human history, um, the creation of the world, the fall into sin, the promise of redemption by God that has come to us in Jesus, and then the great promise of this restoration that will come as this great banquet at the end of all time then what would it look like for us 
to live as a community um, that lived like this is the true reality of the universe? What would it look like for those of us who believe this? What would it look like for us to participate in the servant's work in the world? What would it look like for us to be a part of Jesus compelling the world here at Wake Forest to come into the banquet? Um, the one thought I have for this is that it would look like this community continuing to take the shape of this theology. And one way that that could happen is um, through inviting the right people. So who are the right people? Well, just think, how is it that God has extended his invitation to us? He's extended his invitation to us through the humiliation of Jesus. And the way that we extend his invitation to the world is through our participation in Jesus' humiliation. And this means that the right people are actually the wrong people. So as you consider inviting people in, whether it be here or into friendships or into lunch um, or parties at your apartments or wherever you are, as you're considering inviting people in, um, invite insiders, invite outcasts, invite outsiders. Invite people who are like you, invite people who aren't like you. People who don't look like you, people who don't dress like you or talk like you. Go make friends with the guy who you've sworn that you'd never associate with or that girl who is just so hard for you to connect with, connect with. Acknowledging that there is real difference between us, but welcoming the other because we have a God who has welcomed us in Christ. So first I say invite and second risk humiliation. Friends, this is the way of the cross. Immediately after this parable, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying that we are to join him in his humiliation so that we can join him in the fullness of the joy of the banquet. So that the invitation of the gracious host might be known to the world and that we might come into his joy together. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you... uh, spoke um, and that you walked the earth and we thank you that you spoke in parables and Lord um, we confess that they are difficult for us um, Lord you said hard things and Lord we pray that you would help us to make sense of it help us to make sense of your gracious invitation that goes beyond those who deserve it um, to us Lord help us to see you as the one who has been humiliated for us um, that we might be brought into your father's joy we pray this in your name amen